All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Deer Vein podcast. Today, we got Jace Allen on. Jace knocked down a giant seven by four on public ground at what was it? What was it, Jace? Oh, I'm not even going to tell you. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait for Jace to tell you here. But it is. <laughs> it's a it's a really nice deer and shot him early season 2021 again. Um, and we're going to get into that story and how he was able to do that. But before we do, just got to thank a couple sponsors real quick. First one, Onyx Maps. If you don't know, public, they, it's, a, it's a GPS mapping app for your phone. It's got public and private land boundaries. So you know when you're on public and when you're on private, when you're trespassing and when you're not supposed to be there. But you can also do waypoints, um, GPS. You, it works on and offline. That was one of the main reasons I got it. And there's a whole bunch of other functionality that you can get out of there. Satellite maps, topo maps, hybrid maps. So anyway, if you're in the, if you're in the uh, market for a mapping app to, to track all your movements and everything, certainly go ahead and, and take a look at that. The, uh, the next one, Venado lifestyle apparel made by hunters for hunters. So sweatshirts, t-shirts, uh, long sleeves, jeans, uh, vests, just great, great high quality apparel that is that is made by hunters in wisconsin so you know if if you're instead of giving your money to target or walmart or wherever you buy your clothes or coals go ahead take a look at venado see what they have to offer because that that all the stuff i've bought from them is actually pretty pretty darn nice high quality I, i really like it uh the last one vector custom shop if you don't know how to tune arrows um if you got issues tuning arrows uh, to your bow or you want a FO high FOC setup, or you want just like a, a, a perfectly clean setup for your bow that you're shooting, look up Vector Custom Shop. There's a lot more complexity that goes into arrow than, arrows than people think. And these guys will take your specs, they'll build an arrow out for you, send it to you. And it actually is just as it's in the same ballpark as buying a half dozen arrows from Cabela's anyway. So they're going to do all this work for you and sell them, sell you some arrows at roughly the same price. So definitely take a look at Vector Custom Shop. Those guys are awesome. They're out of Wisconsin. Really enjoy them. Um, please, if you're in the market for some arrows, take a look. All right. So with that being said, this is take two with Jace. We had some feedback problems on the front end, which we had to <laughs> really rally around and, and figure out how the heck this was going to work. Um, but now it seems like we got it all hammered out. So I, I appreciate you bearing with me, Jace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all right. So Jace, uh, for anyone who doesn't, doesn't know you, um, let's put a little bit of context behind you. Where are you from? Um, how long you've been hunting? What type of terrain are you hunting right now? You know, let's go through the whole, the whole jazz. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, my name is Jace Allen. I'm uh, originally out of Bonterre, Missouri. Uh, grew up in a grew up in a hunting family down there. Um, I've been out in the woods. I mean, literally before I could before I could walk. If my dad went out in the woods and he didn't take me along with him, uh, I mean, I was too young to remember. But I'd just be sitting there fussing at the house. <laughs> um, but uh, shot my shot my first deer when I was, whenever I was eleven um that was back in 2006 so i've been been hunting for like 15 years um good math had some math (laughs) say what i said good quick math yeah (laughs) (laughs) um 
but uh yeah now i uh i'd since moved away from home uh in 2014 for for college and uh the whole college thing wasn't for me so i decided that i wanted to start working and start deer hunting and uh still do still still do that to this day so here we are <laughs> yeah well you eventually make it there anyway whether you're in college you go through college or you don't you end up hunting right. and working <laughs> yep <laughs> yep i know and i think it's one of those things that um people get a big misconception that in order to like live a happy life and a financially sound life you have to finish out college and it's just it is it couldn't be any untruer today than it ever has been you don't you don't have to do that you find right well I, yeah. I always wanted to be like a conservation officer or something well whenever uh, i figured really? out uh, it, no, well here <laughs> well here listen hear me out whenever <laughs> whenever i figured out that their busiest time of year was deer season i'm like yep nope <laughs> <laughs> right not interested at all yeah like not interested anymore mm -hmm. yeah that's funny yeah, I do have a few friends that were going that route and they were in the same boat. They were like, you know what, I want to I want to do something for in Wisconsin. We have the DNR. Um, I want to mm -hmm. do something for the DNR and something around whitetails. So I just get to live whitetails my entire life. And then they realized, like, dude, I don't get to hunt anymore. Like, yeah, my busiest time of the year is October and November. Like, I, I guess I'm just not interested in that anymore. <laughs> Which is, I mean, yeah, which is the right uh, choice, right? You have to, at some degree, you have to be selfish for yourself. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of that 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 goes on too, but that's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you moved away and you kept haunting. Um, so now working, hunting, and just hanging out, which is awesome. That's every every bachelor man's dream. Um, mm -hmm. So are you, so in the new area, are you too far from home that you're not, you're not wanting to hunt that same ground anymore? You, you're looking up some pieces of public or what? Yeah. So there's that, there's that piece of private land in Washington County that I'd hunted all, you know, pretty much all my life. I cut my teeth there. Um, got, got some pretty decent deer off of there, but just for, for me, I mean, I always, it's like whenever I was younger growing up, like I really enjoyed hunting like a lot. And whenever I turned, I was like 20, 24. Um, and I really started to like, you know, aspire, you know, these, these guys that are out there, you know, knocking down, you know, some public land giants, you know, out there on the same ground that everybody else is, is doing it. You know, anybody can go out there and anybody can hunt these deer and uh you know you leave it up to you to yourself and your skills to go out there and and get the job done that really really is what set off um my whitetail addiction if you will that just really really fired me up you know going into into somewhere with a with a goal to try to do something that nobody else could do um and it just really gets me going yeah. And that, so that's when you're 24 and you're 26 right now, right? Correct. So that was only a couple of years ago that you really like started diving into it. And now you got, you got one of the nicest bucks probably of your life under your belt. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a, <laughs> I mean, definitely the biggest public land one. Um, 
see, I last year was my first uh, full season hunting out of a tree stand, um, and I had six opportunities for public land bucks, and I capitalized on zero of those. I never <laughs> never did fling an arrow, um, but I mean, I, I still had a great season. I shot two deer in the upper one sixties on private land. <laughs> um, but it's it just that, that public land deer thing that just, man, they've just been kicking my butt for so long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got a little um, bit, I, they got a little bit different, different twitch to them, different walk about them. Cause they, a little bit more pressure, a little bit more wary, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit more conscious of everything that's going on around them, which mm-hmm. is not to say yeah, like, sure. yeah. And you can certainly like, that's not to say that, you know, private land deer are not that way. You know, that's no, just no, it, not at all. Right. Cause I, I certainly have hunted private land deer that are seemingly, man, there's one of my buddies places he has during the course of a year, he'll have somewhere between 20 and 25 people hunt it. And mm-hmm. you would think that like, oh, it's private ground. It's, you know, 180 acres it's pristine you can go in there and the deer are unpressured and it is the furthest from the truth like they don't communicate at all there's people always going in and out there's people driving four-wheelers there's people camping on the property for fun like like that piece is probably more pressure than the piece of public down the road oh yeah i mean you get into some and you can get into some public that's i mean just relatively you know unpressured and those deer they act uh I hate to say normal, <laughs> but, uh, they act unpressured. <laughs> yeah, they, they, exactly. Yeah. They act unpressured. Yeah. yeah like, like you were, like you were saying, I mean, there's nothing, nothing against, you know, any, any private land deer. I mean, obviously, you know, I'll go, I'll go and mix in some of that throughout the year. And just so happened last year that the two best opportunities I had, they were, you know, on, on private ground last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, just for me and, and my goals and what I want to do for, you know, myself, it's just that, you know, that public land thing is something that I've really, really, really latched on to. Yeah. So then, you know, um, so essentially you broke into it two years ago and really got after it. What, um, I'm trying to think if, if we should dive into the, the, the biggest things that you've learned right away, or if we should tell the story first let's hmm let's tell the story of this buck first and then we'll get through that and and we'll analyze that and then maybe we'll drum up some of those biggest key factors that you learned but if we don't and you think of one write it down and we can revisit it after is that cool yeah that's fine all right so Um, let's do that all right cool so i'll try to throw in a couple um a couple of key things that were, um, you know, really, well, I guess you'd say key to, you know, getting this <laughs> buck down. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So why don't you, let's, let's start with, um, let's start with the story. And I, and I know for everybody listening again, Jason, I had a, had a little pod, a mini podcast that I just deleted before this. So um, I, I do have the cheat codes to this conversation already, <laughs> <laughs> if you will, but um all right. So you're essentially this buck was a buck that you had seen previously, um, over the summer and you'd been watching other mature deer. Is that correct? Yes. 
So this particular area, there was a very large deer in there throughout um, June and the early part of July. And um, I really wanted to go after this deer. Uh, the last time I saw him was July the 12th. And I got a little a little hung up on him for a little too long. I, I do believe he uh, moved along somewhere where I didn't know where he was. But there was a couple decent deer still there in the area, and uh, and I I knew those deer quite well. The uh, this particular deer, the seven by four, which I honestly thought was a six by four, just a couple times I'd seen him during the summer. He was of the really the two deer that I wanted to shoot in there. He was really he was really quite flaky. He he wasn't there a a, a, a lot of the time. Um, I mean, for the 60 or 70 or 90 days, whatever I spent out in the, in the summer glassing this year, I, uh, I only saw him three times. Um, and then the fourth time is when I actually killed him. But so you spent, I'd already kind wait, of committed. Wait, wait, wait. Just hold on. You spent like 60 plus days out in the summer glassing up some fields. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, so yeah, you're using for everybody who's do who didn't catch, he's using the the Hunter Hogan tactics of living living in the woods is very helpful. <laughs> I I do. I mean, I I mean, it was four to six days a week every for sure since June. I mean, I I went out a couple times there in late May, but uh, their horns aren't very big then, and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of just like a little little tease, if you would. But sure um june it's 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 on okay um so you so, so you saw this deer only three times and and it was the only three the three times you saw him was in this area and the fourth time you saw him in this area you killed him yes okay gotcha. um and the other deer uh there's particularly there's a big eight pointer in in there i don't know i, I thought he was somewhere in the 140 range or so okay um he was really consistent throughout throughout that area throughout um he moved in there in the early part of august and he stayed uh he, okay. he never he never did leave um i was thinking about going and hitting up some other pieces of the property but i got some buddies um that hunt the you know so some other pieces of the property and i just want to be you know, respectful of those guys and kind of, you know, block out my own area. And, you know, this is what I'm going to be hunting. Um, That's awfully nice. And, you know, we try to, yeah, yeah. We try to, <laughs> we try to split up the the property, um, you know, the, the best that we can, um, you know, without stepping on each other's toes, you know, work, work together, you know, not against each other. Yeah. Were you seeing, but, other, uh, were you seeing other people out there glassing like you? Uh. I'd like to think that there is nobody out there as much as me, <laughs> but, okay. uh, but there is definitely, there's definitely, uh, quite a, quite a bit of summertime, uh, glassing pressure, especially on the, especially on the weekends. Um, and I don't really like to be, to be seen and, you know, people know where, where exactly I'm, I'm hunting. So on most, yeah. on most weekends, I'm probably not going to be there. Unless it's just some really, some really bad weather, um, I know it's going to keep most people home. 
then I'll be out there on the weekends. But for the most part, I just go out during the week. Gotcha. So then when you're um, one of the other big things that a lot of people have problems with, um, I shouldn't say problems. They just, uh, they're, they're working very hard at it, but picking a piece of public to hunt, you mm-hmm. know, um, not saying that everyone has, you know, 10, you know, thousands of acres to choose from, but within two hours of everybody's house, there's typically, or their home, there's typically multiple pieces of public land to choose from, or at least mm-hmm. multiple sections of a single piece to choose from. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you narrow down like this piece was where you were going to hunt or this section of this piece or w- whatever? And I don't, don't give away too much because I don't want anybody to figure out where you're hunting by any means. Right. No, I try, I try not to. <laughs> um, so it all depends on what your goals are. So like for me, like I'm trying to shoot a buck that's, you know, 100 and, 140 inches or, or bigger. Okay. Um, so it, if you're going for a deer, if you're going for a buck, if you're going for a big buck, that's really going to dictate where you're hunting, at least in my opinion. Like I, I know of other spots, you know, around my area here that if I just wanted, you know, a doe, it would be a lot, you know, a lot easier thing to go out there and, and, you know, hunt, you know, hunt those deer. Um, but if you're looking for a specific buck or a specific kind of buck, you need to be where that buck is. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So then what, so are you, in order to find this piece, are you just driving around and glassing all these different other pieces? Then eventually you settled on this one or did you pick this one? Okay. So, So then your process for picking pieces, was that like satellite maps, sectioning off chunks, going and watching them over a few nights and then either putting them on the list or crossing them off the list? Yeah, pretty much. So last summer, I really did a lot of a lot of narrowing down on areas. Um, the summertime is really, really great for that, especially if you can get if you can get out on those days where you have like a favorable moon, you know, preferably you know your red moon out. And if you go out there during the summertime and you glass field and you aren't seeing the, the kind of deer that you want to that that you you know you want to go after, then you know you need to just you know pack up shop and move on um especially if you're trying to you know get some get something down early season i know there's pieces of property that you know heat up during the rut but for what i was wanting to what i'm wanting to do um really that summertime glassing is is key for me okay got it so picking pieces going by the moon in favor of weather conditions watching a piece for a few days and then moving on. Do you ever, did you use trail cameras at all? No, I have, I have never, never used trail cameras. And uh, on, on MDC land, it's, it's legal to have them on there. If you get on uh, like, let's just say like national forest or army Corps of engineer ground or something that's federally or in a, in a federal jurisdiction, you can, but if it's on, uh, Missouri state land you you cannot okay gotcha so Missouri state land you cannot have trail cams okay so then that leads to why glassing is so much more 
they, I mean, it brings so much more value then. Right. right. Okay. So, all right. Um, I just wanted to pick your brain on that a little bit because that's one of the hardest things. A lot of people are is like, okay, uh, where do I go? Like, where do I even begin? Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything in particular that drew you to these few specific sections or were they just sections that you could like glass from the truck or the far from afar or something? Yeah. So this particular piece that I settled in on, um, there was a good mix of like trees and, and, uh, CRP and I, and I watched these, uh, like, like I said, especially that eight pointer, I watched him, um, come out of this one end of this big, of this big tree line. And it just seemed like, um, for this particular spot, there was a good, uh, selection of observation trees that I could get into. And gotcha. really watch the watch what these deer do from afar before, and really really identify a tree that I need to get into before I actually you know try to dive in there and go and go get them killed. Um, so that's the that's the reason that that I chose this spot. Plus it had that really plus I had that really big buck in there, and I was kind of wanting to I was kind of wanting to target him, but like I said, he kind of evaporated on me. Yeah. Oh, no, then that's a, that's actually a really key point that I've never thought of, which is like, if you're summer glassing and you're seeing deer come out of a very specific area before you even go in there, you can pick the tree. Like this Mm -hmm. is the tree I'm getting into because this is where they're going to walk by. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And you know what what I did to that. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Um, all right. So I, yeah, I, I would imagine, yeah, if you see a buck, that's, that's very large, you know, um, bigger, obviously bigger than your seven by four. Um, right. <laughs> that'll draw you, that'll draw anybody to an area. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So picking that piece is just a good mixture and it had some good bucks in it. You took a look at it and you're like, yeah, this seems like I'll definitely just keep an eye on these, this area for the summer and try to hunt it really hard. Had you, mm. had you been in there last year at all? Nope. I had not, I had not been in there last year. I spent quite a bit of time in the, in the summer in this area, but there's so much, this is rather open ground and there's so much, uh, CRP embedding in there. It'll, it'll really make a guy's head spin if he starts to think about like, you know, well, I need to hunt this and this and this and this and this. And you try to cover all these spots. And one thing I really tried to do is limit myself um, and where I'm hunting and hunt a rather small area and uh, just really pick it apart. Like this area that I was hunting, it was maybe like this whole tree line was maybe, oh, I'm going to call it 30 acres or so. Okay. Um, so I really limited myself down to that just to, you know, keep, just to keep focused on that, on that area and made, and uh, made sure I wasn't like spreading myself out too much and trying to, and trying to hunt too much. Yeah. And the, then I could, the, the downside of hunting, hunt, hunting too much is you don't learn one area really well. Correct. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then in that 30 acre chunk, is that 
part of a much larger piece, like thousands of acres or like hundreds or. Yeah, it's a, the, the particular piece of public land. It's, it's a couple thousand acres. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's what I'm, what I'm getting at is, is you didn't narrow down to a, a piece of public ground that was only 30 acres. It's a, a mm-hmm. section of this thousands of acres of piece. Um, mm-hmm. So then, okay, narrowing it down to that 30 acres within there, did you have, did you go, did you walk in there over the summer and actually go pick out certain areas after knowing these deer were there? Or did you just continually watch from afar? I just continually watched from afar. I didn't want to, I didn't really want to tip off these deer that they were being hunted like at all throughout the, throughout the summer. And in this, in this particular tree line, like the trees in there are so small that it's really, it's really good to throw off, excuse me. It's really good to throw off most people going in there especially if they like have a climber or something like that you know where they need a bunch of you know big straight up trees they, they, they just weren't in there gotcha. and so i knew the hunting pressure was going to be pretty pretty low on the end of the um tree line that i was hunting um there was a couple bigger trees and the people that were hunting this area that's where they were but i i already had figured that going going into season Gotcha. Were the deer heading over there at all or no? So they were heading up that way, but from the cornfields that they were feeding in to where they were bedding, it was like, I forgot how far it was, it was like 700 yards. Okay. So the guys that were hunting up all the way at the corn, like they didn't, they didn't have a, well, I, I didn't, I, I'm not going to say they didn't have a chance of those bucks moving that far because they will do that sometimes, but the chances of them getting on those deer was pretty low. Gotcha. And so what I kind of yeah. did with this area is I just kind of, I just kind of sectioned it off um, as far as what, what scouting trees were there where I could observe from the best and also, you know, not be seen from like the parking lots or, you know, people, people, mm-hmm. you know, hunting about, cause I, like I said, I, I don't really like to be seen and, um, and also identify like the places that I couldn't see that I might actually, you know, dive into just on an evening hunt and, you know, hunt a little sign and, and see what happens. Um, but the bucks were, I, I had a pretty good idea just from what I'd been watching them do from the summer that they were in the far tip of this of this tree line as we get to the tip of this tree line it gets really grown up with some crp the trees do get quite a bit smaller in there and uh and there's like a little mound in there there too like just a little high ground that's that's what these bucks were keying in on just that little little piece of high ground um really i think uh in and could you observe that that it was a little piece of high ground in in these smaller trees? Yes. So what I end up doing was the section that I couldn't I couldn't observe from. I had to really get in there to see what was happening. Um, it was probably oh two hundred yards out from bedding, um, and I dove in there one night. 
and there's quite a bit of fresh sign coming out from that bedding area, still back towards the corn. Um, but I just wasn't, I just wasn't close enough. I had a, I had a decent deer come in at last light one, one, uh, one evening, uh, while, while I was doing that, but, uh, but it was, it was far too dark to even, to even shoot. I, whenever the deer left, I, I didn't even see it leave. But, gotcha. uh, so I figured I'd give that a go. So what I did next is, okay, we're at September. This was on a Sunday. I was like, all right, it's time to, you know, get in these, get in these observation trees and see what's going on. Okay. Are you, so, are you in season now? Did we, yes, we're in season. All right. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So um, season so over in September 15th, right? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And um, this was September the 19th, I believe. Okay. Is when I started uh, started using observation sets. So the first evening, um, I hopped in an observation tree um, and I. Uh, I had a little buck come come like right by the stand, but I did not see anything on that side, which I really didn't I really didn't expect to, but I figured I'd check it out just to make sure. And uh, what I was kind of thinking here is we had two days with south winds, and then there's going to be a cold front blowing in, and we're going to have a couple north winds. And I had really two scouting trees in mind, so what I had in my head was I'm going to sit this observation tree on the south wind today tomorrow i'm going to go for the other one on a south wind and then whenever we had a north i was going to sit that one and then sit the other one and we'll see what happens gotcha. so the first one um didn't produce anything and the next evening whenever i climbed up in that other observation tree still on that uh still on that south wind I observed uh, this big, uh, like I said, 140 class eight pointer that was okay. in there. I just saw him for a little bit. It's not the best look at this bedding area, but it's still a look, and I could also see some other stuff. Um, but it uh, assured me in my mind that where I had been seeing these bucks come out of the summer, they were still they were still holding up right there. So the next day we have a north wind. The north wind, and it was really northwest, um, it allowed me to, um, that observation tree that I saw this buck out of, I was probably 400 yards away from this bedding area. Okay. And the next day, whenever I went in, I cut the distance about 250 yards. And so I'm, I'm observing about 150 yards away from the, these deer which is pretty close but i knew they were going in the opposite direction of me heading towards the corn so gotcha i slide in this observation tree that evening and i'm watching and about oh 10 5 10 minutes before four dark i see these bucks uh they all get up out of their bed and they go over to this little tree line that's a part of this greater tree line and i see him go over there and uh 
I see him do a little bit of feeding around. There's one that made a scrape. Um, and, and, uh, oh, I'm losing my place here. <laughs> I ran out of breath. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Um, I got a, I got a question for you anyway. So why, yeah. um, if you saw, if, if you were seeing what they were doing over the summer and you had a pretty good idea and then you go in there mm-hmm. on the South winds and you see that they're roughly doing the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it switches to a North wind. Why don't you just dive in for a kill? Why do you go, well, I want to watch one more time or two more times. Well, the more information you can get, the better. Um, and I wasn't sure what these deer were doing, like precisely like, like inside, inside of this bedding area that they were in, like all the times that I'd watched them throughout the summer, it was from a little further back. It was watching them come out of there. Okay. Um, but, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure what they were doing in there. And also I didn't, I didn't have the exact tree that I needed to be in, mm. uh, p- picked out at that point. And that's really what I needed to, to identify. Um, there's someone else I was listening to their podcast. It, they talk about like moving in a little bit, like they'll observe from afar, they'll move in, they'll observe again, and they keep on moving in until they see the the exact tree they need to be in. And that, yeah. So one of the, the things that can be a pain in the butt about that is if you're a weekend hunter, you don't really have the opportunity to like do that. Right. Right. Really yeah. Hunting time. every yeah, hunting every day is a huge advantage. Because um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't understate that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, you know, if you hunt every day of the season, you throw 120 darts at a board. You know, eventually one's going to hit the middle. But right. you know, t- you know, take aim. Right. Um, no, and it's good to it's 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 awesome. Like I'm not I'm not bashing you or anything like that for that. What I'm, it's, it certainly is a massive advantage, but that's what allows. So before I had kids, I hunted probably four or five days a week. Um, Mm. Now that I got kids, I get to watch my kids four or five days a week, which is great. It's awesome. I just Mm. love it. (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I, you know, it's all, it's all fine. Um, I love, I've, the side note, I do love my kids. I got a, I got a two-year-old son. I got an eight-month-old girl. Like they're fantastic. They're awesome. Like really enjoyable. And I wouldn't trade them for the world. Not, not a 200 inch or nothing. So it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> right. I say that, I say that facetiously. Cause I, I did really enjoy like knocking off of work at four o'clock in the early season. It gets dark at seven 30 and you can just scoot right out there or even like three yeah, 30 or and- something. You scoot right out there and you can hunt pretty much all these nights. Right you can learn so much by hunting four or five days a week, you know? And to your point earlier, and I, and I miss it today. Like I was driving by some pieces today um, with my kids after I picked them up from daycare and there's no one in the parking lots and you roll there on a Saturday and there's at least two cars in every parking lot. So you're like, Mm -hmm. man, if I only had this time again, but I I like to talk to people like you that do have the time because you learn, you, like I said, you just learn so much because you spend so much time out there. And I want to, I want to learn, I want to hear what you learned and I want to try to apply it on my weekend hunts, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I mean that's exactly what I'm what I'm doing. I I get off work at four o'clock, and so my hunting during the week, or you know, scouting during the you know summer glassing from the week, that's all done from you know four o'clock till the you know time I go to bed. Yeah, cool. No, I, I mean that makes sense. So anyway, sorry to sorry to drag you off the course uh, of the path oh, of the of the story here, but anyway, so where we left off was it was a north wind you're 150 yards out you think they're going to be coming out walking away from you and these bucks did come mm-hmm. out and they fed or they worked their way over to a smaller tree line that was part of the bigger tree line and they made some rubs or some scrapes and they kind of messed around there ate a fed a little bit and that's where we left off yes so this t- this goes into a uh a bigger part of why I decided to dive in here this next day. So as I'm sitting there that evening, it was a, it was really a Northwest wind. Um, so for this particular tree line that I was thinking about getting into a Northwest wind was going to blow my scent pretty much right down the tree line, especially when that wind kind of hits it at a, like kind of like a crosswind and um that's kind of in line with tree line like it's going to hit that tree line and that wind's going to go right with those right with those trees mm-hmm. um so I'm, I'm sitting there and the way these bucks moved in there they hooked that tree line and they came up the side and then that's when they started feeding whenever they verified that everything with their uh nose was was safe but what i noticed was and i've seen this before in other places too whenever that sun went down and this has been rather flat ground that i've noticed these in whenever that sun went down those ther- those evening thermals started taking over mm-hmm. we went from a northwest wind and it started blowing more out of the north and which is what i really needed to get in there it was pretty much a straight north it was going to be blowing my scent um perpendicular to this to this tree line um so gotcha. sitting there the the sun go sun goes down thermals start taking over and those thermals start pulling more to the north i don't know why it's that why it's that way it's just uh like i said i've seen that before other other places the wind will do something funky whenever the sun goes down but i'm close enough to this area to where i'm assuming it's doing the same thing just, you know, 150 yards right over there where I'm planning on hunting. Right. Uh, that was the first day of the cold front. The next day, the conditions were going to be relatively the same, you know, same wind, um, pretty much same temperature. So it's the second day of this little cold front or cool snap we're talking about. And the moon is showing that they're going to be moving a little bit later. So, my whole game plan is I'm going to slide in there and I'm not really thinking these deer are going to get up and start moving until that sun goes down when those thermals start, start taking over. Mm. So this whole time diving in there, which I dove in from the complete other side, because walking in like from where I was sitting on that last observation sit to right over there, it was only 150 yards, but I'd have to pretty much walk right through the bedding or walk right where these bucks were going to be walking. Right. So I ended up walking, uh, it was pretty close to a mile from the, 
the nearest parking lot that was um you know that was the, the opposite direction from me to the box right so okay so doing like a big j loop or a hook or something like that you just picked a different lot and came in from a totally different area right okay mm-hmm. makes sense yep continue so the next day i i dive in there and i get in there and exactly what i thought my wind is wrong it's like man if these deer get up during during daylight i'm gonna be toast but <laughs> i'd been i'd been watching these deer you know all, all summer you know i tracked deer with the you know the moon and the weather and whatnot and i was really confident that the bucks that were going to be in that in that bedding area they were going to be getting up after dark and moving through so we get um winds blowing wrong that whole time and then that sun starts to go down. I start to feel those thermals start to pull a little bit. And then all of a sudden I look up and this buck stand up there at about 80 yards. And also I I set up my I set up my tree stand about uh it was 37 yards away from a doe that was bedded. Um what? I actually left a part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to envision this in my head. You're in a tree line. How thick is the tree line? uh it's it's fairly open it's a bunch of small trees and it almost looks like there's a browse line like underneath of them and it probably okay. it uh, probably is a browse line actually now that i'm thinking about it because all the all the leaves that start at about six foot and then they go up <laughs> um oh and yeah. I, I left another part out of the story whatever I, on my last observation sit i was watching these bucks in this area and I did pick out the exact tree that I needed to be in. I was like, I need okay. to be in that tree tomorrow night. So I'm so, going for it. Okay. And this, how, like, in terms of, uh, that's, that's good to know on the thickness of like the area, but like, um, mm-hmm. how wide is the tree line? Is it like 10 yards wide or like 30 yards wide or, uh, the little tree line, it's probably no more than 10 yards wide. Okay. And and is the tree line running east to west or north to south? It's running east to west. Okay. So you got a north wind. You're sitting on, are you sitting on the front side of the tree line or the back side? I'm pretty much right in the middle. So okay. um, it, gotcha. was pre- it was pretty much a, a northwest wind. And the reason I say my wind was wrong is it kind of hits that tree line that's running east and west. It hits that kind of angle and that wind it'll kind of run like water and it hits that that tree line at an angle and it'll just follow that line of trees gotcha um, and shoot it so right down to those deer right and those gotcha. deer were off my wind or that this one buck was off my wind by probably 50 yards um okay. while he was while he was up on this little high spot bedded gotcha so gotcha, gotcha. the the sun went down those evening thermals they started to they started to pull the wind was calming down hold on i gotta stop I got, i'm sorry i gotta stop you again real yeah, quick no you're good you said you said you set up and you set up 37 yards from a doe yes <laughs> so <laughs> I, I need you to walk me through that like are you 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 sneak in there and what, what type of stand what type of gear are you using 
So the uh, the stand and sticks that I'm running, I'm affiliated with this company now. I was running their stuff beforehand, but it's it's uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear okay. um, stuff. Yeah. So I'm running two of their mini sticks, the single steps, and their uh, 1.0 stand. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So and they're known for being very the very quiet, no squeaks, very quick, clean, easy to set up. So that's, that's one of those things that's, um, yeah. And two sticks, you're not making a ton of noise. You're not hauling stuff up a ton of trees or anything like that. Okay. Right. So you set that up and you get in the stand and you look over and you're like, Oh, there's a doe right there. Well, I had, I had had the tree stand set up for a couple minutes and all of a sudden I, all of a sudden I look over, she's standing up and I'm like, Oh geez. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's not the it's not the first time I've set up a tree stand that you know that close to a deer, but that's that that that's why I use that that stuff, because um, it's just I, I can I feel like I can do that o- over and over again. Um, right. It's just it's incredible. But anyways, okay, yep. Anyways, you had picked out that tree. Um, you get set up in it. There's the doe at 37 yards, and as soon as the thermals start pulling your scent uh from a straight north wind and that sun sets you look up there's the buck at 80 continue i will not interrupt (laughs) you're good so so the way i'm looking up into this bed area it's kind of broken up i i i'm looking through some through some other uh trees and branches and leaves whatnot Uh, but this buck he stands up at at 80 yards and actually he stood up it was probably 20 minutes before dark and i lose track of him for a little bit and i already i i go ahead and i get my bow out of the boulder and i have my bow sitting on my knee because i'm like man he could like show up like right in front of me um and i'm looking through and down my down the tree line where i'm expecting these bucks to come from um or where i'm expecting them to hook in uh just like they did the day before uh i look up and there's like a year and a half old eight pointer i'm just like i was like well crap (laughs) (laughs) and he gets into the tree line that i'm in and about 20 seconds later i hear this deer walking in the in the tree line that i'm in i not on the edge like i was thinking but he's actually in the tree line you know, pretty much walking a trail that's going to lead them by it like five yards. So I'm still sitting down in my stand, bows and bows on my knee. And, uh, all of a sudden I, I look over and, uh, the deer that I thought was going to be that year and a half old buck was actually this, this seven by four. And he pops <laughs> out like 20 yards. I'm just like, Oh geez. <laughs> so so I'm also I'm also self filming this. So I uh, so this buck he's he's coming down. I get the camera turned. I get it turned on him. Um, I didn't end up getting a shot on camera, but uh, he stops at about ten yards and he starts rubbing a tree, and his eyes kind of while he's rubbing the tree, like his head kind of comes up and like his eyes roll like right like right in my direction, like at, t- at 10 yards. And I'm just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, please don't see me. <laughs> um, and 
I go ahead and I, he starts walking again. I draw my bow and I have it, I have it kept in my mind where I was dropping, um, where I was dropping my, my milkweed. And I had a good, I, I knew right where my scent was going and he kept on coming closer, kept on coming closer. And he's at like seven yards, six yards and he hits five yards and it's in, and he's in my lane and I try to stop him or slow him down. Uh, but he just, he just keeps on moving. I just kind of, I just give him like a little, like a little mat as like kind of chopped up, like going up in volume and just try to get him to slow down, but he doesn't slow down. So at five yards, I shoot this thing and my camera arm goes swinging off to the side and I hit this deer like way back. I'm just like, what just happened? And oh, I look no. at my camera my flip out LCD screen um, while I was following this deer with a bow, it got in between my string and my riser. And whenever I shot, my string hit that LCD screen and just my camera's toast. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. So I end up hitting this deer like way back, but he only runs 40 yards. I'm shooting lighted knocks and he just he just goes into, uh, there's, there's like cockle burrs, um, and like a big open section. And he goes right inside the cockle burrs, only about 40 yards away. And he just stops and he just stands there and stands there and stands there. So I knew I hit this deer back. So I just left everything there in the tree and, um, I just get out of there. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to add in a part. If he wasn't, if this buck wasn't within a foot or two feet of getting my wind, I mean, he was so close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I there, bet. Was a, there was a couple of times where like he took a deep breath and I was like, Oh, it's over. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Coming right down the trail. I mean, I would, yeah, that's one of those things. Where, uh, I'm expecting this, this little eight point to poke his head out and it's nope, nope. It's the big boy. And he's right there. Nope get yep. my to hold my hold my shit in my butt because i'm about to just <laughs> blow out here <laughs> right um yeah um, now i need to figure out how to yeah how to shoot this thing while filming it and it's all gonna happen at five freaking yards because that's where he's yeah. coming and i gotta shoot him before right. he catches my wind because if he does he's just gone so yeah i mean if he if he made it another step he would have been gone Oh man. I mean, it, yeah, it, that it wasn't a... that close. But I mean, and that's the good thing about like hunting low. Like I said, I was only, it was like 10, maybe 11 feet off the ground with those two sticks. Um, cause I knew right where my scent was going. If I was a little higher in a tree, maybe I'd get a little more, you know, float. I may, maybe I could have floated over the top of them. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I knew just, it, I knew exactly where my set was going and where I had to shoot a deer before it got my set. And he was there. Right. Oh, so, man. Yeah. So I leave this deer overnight. Um, and uh, to make a long story short out of a sleepless night, uh, I came back <laughs> yeah, the next morning. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. Um, I came back the next morning and he did not, he didn't move. 
uh he was right there right where i left him dead um there yep stone okay. cold dead nice. um so the arrow had went um like pretty much through the center of the guts it had entered entered his back leg and that uh, it actually cut his back leg in half or his, his back leg bone um it was just it was just destroyed dang okay yeah what what kind of That's what, what kind of arrows are you shooting in broadheads and all that? Uh, I'm shooting uh, their Victory uh, Rip TKO arrows and uh, the good old Rage Two Blade, the originals. Okay, the originals, not the yep, new that... ones. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the originals, they uh, they got that one right the first time, and they worked for me forever, and uh, I still and I still shoot them. They. Uh, they've they've never done me wrong yeah no there's there's a lot of i could you know the thing about rage and i have not i personally have not had an issue with them um yeah the thing that i think rage had a problem with was originally the the original inventor of rage was not um a conglomerate company uh Mm. they were just normal broadhead maker and they and they made they made a good broadhead, a good expandable that worked well. And then everyone was like, yeah, these are great. And then they were purchased by another company. I think its name is Faradine. Um, And then from there, it seemed like the quality of the head just degraded year over year. And then you started getting all these issues with them. Um, Yeah. I mean, they've they've done some things, right? Say what? I said that's where a lot of the hate for like rage broadheads that's that seems to be where it all stems from is not the mm. the original head that came out I don't know like 10 what was that like eight years ago or something like that seven or eight years ago um yeah I know there were newer ones that are like flimsier than a piece of paper right yeah I mean uh, they've done some things right they've done some things wrong um I've seen people that haven't had very good success with their three blade expandable ones. Um, but I just shoot those, I just shoot those original, original two blades and, um, couldn't be happier with the outcome I've had with those things. No, wait, just to clarify, are you talking original as in like you bought so the original like two years ago or are you talking uh, no, as in so, just like the standard two blade? Yeah. Just the standard two mm. blade. Okay. Well, yeah, then, then I totally, I would totally disagree. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. I went down the wrong track there, but that's fine, man. If You're you, good. If you, that's one of the things about broadheads that I think a lot of people get mixed up in is, is um, certainly some of it is personal preference and it's so hard to like truly test um broadheads that uh Mm. that like literally like side by side it's very difficult to actually test that um on a game animal and you can do the gelatin test and you can do all these other different random tests but it's really not the truth and it's usually not replicated enough to make it a significant factor or like a significant uh uh, quantity analysis on it but anyway Mm. um no, I mean, my personal preference is, is fixed blade just because I just don't even want to have to 
think about whether or not it opened or it deflected off a rib or it didn't if one of the blades broke or whatever like that you know but that's mm. my personal preference i used to shoot um mechanicals and i've never i didn't have any major issues with them um i just know uh one of my everyone's got a rage story right so i'm not even going to go into it but right yeah. anyway <laughs> go ahead you have a great rage story which led to this phenomenal deer on the ground and it broke its back leg um at five yards so i am yep i'm happy i'm very happy for you jace <laughs> oh thank you yeah and i i thought i'd add in there i i don't put a whole lot of stake in like arrow weight or anything okay. but my i mean and i know this is also at five yards but uh, i think my total arrow weight's like 400 grains like 410 yeah that's pretty light but i i mean you can't argue it i, I couldn't yeah I couldn't say it's bad or good or anything like that. I don't, mm. I know, I know Hunter's in the same boat. Um, when I talked to Hunter about it, um, I do have a podcast out. So this one's going to air this podcast will air Wednesday, October 6th, I believe. And next mm. week, um, Monday, October 11th, I am airing a podcast for a guy who does uh, blood tracking with a dog and his he he goes (laughs) he goes do not shoot a deer with an expandable or a crossbow he goes if it's one thing that i've i've learned from tracking deer with a dog is crossbows and expandables are by far the worst Mm -hmm. um yeah i i will never blame a guy for shooting a fixed blade broadhead (laughs) right and i don't that's pretty pretty foolproof (laughs) (laughs) right well except for the tuning factor right i mean you have the pros and cons because like a fixed blade really needs to be tuned and it needs to be tuned well because that's how you get like you get all these people asking questions on facebook like hey what's a good shooting broadhead fixed blade broadhead well all of them are if you tune them well to your bow you know not all of them but 95 percent of them are you know you just have to Mm. tune them that and people like will throw on they'll go from a field tip to a fixed blade and it'll shoot four inches to the right and three inches low at 20 yards. And they're like, what the hell's going on? Well, it's because your bow isn't right. tuned and your arrow is not selected properly for uh, the weight, the draw weight that you have and the length that you have and the weight of your arrow and all that. Like it all comes into play, which is a great reason to call a vector custom shop. Search them on Google right Thank now. <laughs> um, but no, the, seriously, that's, that's why people will look up that stuff. And with, um, the the draw of mechanicals is they fly like field tips so mm-hmm. you don't have nearly the the amount of tuning effort that needs to go into them um over the summer and ensuring that uh that your arrows are going to fly the same so there, there's pros mm-hmm. and cons to to both of them plus with a mechanical um you know you're going to get a bigger cutting diameter you know you're going to get a two mm-hmm. inch a two inch cutting diameter most fix, fixed blades can't touch that you know, most fixed blades are an inch and an eighth or an inch and, you know, a quarter or something like that. So mm-hmm. it, there's pros and cons to, to everything. Um, you know, I, I don't have a rec, I don't have a true recommendation on that besides like be confident in your setup, right? It confidence can really be a killer. Um, and, oh, and, yeah the lack of confidence can really make you not kill. And I have experienced that before too. So, Mm. um, 
you know, so it's, yeah, just be confident in your setup, you know, do your research, put in your time, put in your effort, spend the money, shoot a few different heads, even if they're expandables. I know they're like 10, 15 bucks a head, but shoot one into a target, make sure that it's going well or buy the practice tip that they offer. Shit. I had a friend this year, man. He went out to Utah on a $10,000 mule deer hunt and he Ooh. was shooting the practice tip all summer for this. Uh, yeah. I forget what broadhead he was shooting guy. I should know. It was a G it was, I think it was a G five broadhead, but it was an expandable, but it wasn't like the Tekken. I forget what one it is, but anyway, it comes with a practice head and the practice head does not have one of the, like the bleeder blades on it or something like that to that effect. Mm. Yeah. He, he went to shoot a, he was shooting in his yard, sending me Snapchats and he was shooting a, his Glendale buck at 70 and 80 yards and he was doing pretty well. So he goes to shoot this, uh, this mule deer at 70 yards, a really nice four by four. He lets his arrows loose and he just slices the bottom of his sight, man, just mm. hit the bottom Ooh. of his sight and his arrow just went flying off into no man's land. And he, and he ended up oh, not boy. filling a tag. A $10,000 hunt. Oh, man. That'd be brutal. Yeah, those, uh, those bad things, they happen at precisely the worst time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they, they tend to do that. Um, mm. But that is, uh, anyway, to get back to your story and off that, off that side conversation there, um, that's awesome uh, that even though with the camera, like, God, that would, that, that sounds like it really sucks to get your camera, to lose your camera and to lose the shot. And to have to like, that just sounds like a whole, whole, whole mess. <laughs> for, yeah. It was, uh, it was kind of a shit show. Yeah. I wasn't so. like, after I shot that deer, I was like, I'm not sure to, how to feel like, should I be like excited or sad or like, what? Or, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Or just pissed off. Like, uh, you know, there's too many, there's too many things to be happy or sad about. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. That's a, that's a whirlwind of, of emotions right there, but that's awesome. So next day came back and he was laying right there dead, dead as a doornail, which is awesome. Um, mm. Oh, that's great. So was there, I mean, and that, I mean, that worked out to a T are you, were you concerned at all in that process um, of like observing these deer and understanding these deer that like when you went in for that, for that kill that you had missed your opportunity and you should have been in there the night before, or, cause I feel like sometimes, you know, when I personally go into the woods um, and I don't see any deer or, or I do see some deer and then I'm like, Oh man, I need to go back there tomorrow night. Um, and then you mm. go back there tomorrow night and you don't see them. You're like, crap, I missed my chance. You know, <laughs> right. Um, did that ever come across your mind at all? Uh, not really on this one. Like if I was it would like, while well, it's early season, like these deer, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty patternable. They're pretty predictable. And that, that's why I really like hunting like early season and late season. If like, let's say I'm back on that, on that piece of private land where I grew up. Um, it's the rut. I am looking for what a deer is doing that day because what, 
whatever that deer is doing that day, there is a pretty high chance in my mind that he is not going to be doing that tomorrow. Um, that right. might be the case, exactly. but usually, usually not. So it's just like, well, during that time of year, if you see something like you need to get on it, like right away. And the most relevant information you can have is getting a, is getting a visual on these deer. I love looking at, you know, looking at tracks and looking at scrapes and th- this buck that I killed, he had, he had a scrape line. I know it was this deer cause he had a, he had like a really long hoof, hoof print. He had a scrape line going all the way down this tree line while I was coming in to, in to get him. But like the sign that was there, like if I was looking at it, like I would have thought this deer would have come from a like completely different direction. But seeing those mm-hmm. deer, what they, yeah, seeing those deer, what they did the night before, if it would have been like, let's just say I had like another wind switch. Like, let's just say it would have started to come out of the, you know, hard, hard west or east or something. Like, I wouldn't have dove in there. Like, having those consistent conditions played a big part of why I chose to dive in there when, when I did. Gotcha. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't concerned about them getting up too early because, I, I mean, I track these deer with, you know, the moon like, like crazy. Like, I think Hunter talked on his last podcast about the moon guide. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what, that, that, that stuff, it's like scary accurate. Um, <laughs> and this, it, it, it is. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I bought it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I bought yeah. it yesterday and I'm, I'm going to track, I'm going to track that information this year and I'll track it against my trail camera picks and everything and see what I see. Um, uh, I'm very oh, interested in running the data. Man, it, it, it'll blow your mind. Whenever I first got it and I started looking back, like way back on days, dates that either I saw bucks or my buddies like shot a, you know, a great big buck or, you know, I, I shot a big buck and you start looking, it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> like this stuff is just on, um, but uh, so I wasn't I wasn't concerned about these deer moving um, like while it was daylight while my wind was wrong. Um, so what we had is we had a we had a full moon rising in the evening, but we were already to the point where that where that full moon was rising uh, past dark, and so. Um, it was that little cold snap that actually got them up during the daylight because you get you get these these you know high pressure public land bucks and you know, you get you get a really bad moon phase they won't even they won't even hardly get up before dark um a lot of times like they'll just they'll just sit tight um mm-hmm. but based off of my what i actually observed with my eyes let me know that these deer were moving during daylight in their bedding area they weren't moving far they were just moving far enough. Um, and so the next night the moon was rising a little bit, uh, later on in the night. And so I figured everything was lined up perfect for them to get up just probably right before dark and, you know, come in and move on my way. And that buck did exactly that. 
Um, that's pretty neat. But uh, yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can talk about, I can talk about the moon till I'm, till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. On, uh, a, on just as a, a general question here. Um, yeah. If, if you're if, with all your watching the deer over the summer and everything, um, how many nights a month would you say out of like 30 days are were you seeing more mature deer move in daylight i mean is it like 10 days 10 evenings a, a week or a month 10 evenings a month or is it like 15 or is it like five what it what do you um, what would you put that at I don't know if I'd put a number on it, but I can tell you the conditions that I do see those deer. So, and it, so there, there's the, there's the moon and the weather. If you have like a cold snap or something come, you know, come through, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's good. You know, that, that's what a lot of guys key in on, you know, that, you know, they know that, you know, colder conditions, you know, those deer are going to get up and right. you know, they're going to be active and start moving. Um, there's that. Um, but also with that, with that moon i mean it whether it's whether it's good conditions whether it's 105 degrees out and the heat index is 115 if there's a red moon you need to be out there watching okay because you're gonna you're gonna see some of these mature bucks but in a um so in like a like a full day's moon cycle there's four times that that moon's gonna influence uh, deer activity and deer movement it's the overhead and underfoot which that's what the moon guide depicts is those up overhead and underfoot times right. um, and those are those are your more preferred but also the moon on either horizon so like if if you notice like i don't know when the next full moon is but watch it every every evening what will happen is that moon it'll start to get fuller and it'll start to r rise a little later in the evening every day a little bit later and if you can get that moon rising anywhere within you know just call it two hours before dark you mm -hmm. can get that moon rising while it's still daylight uh that's and i, I saw some freaking slobs this summer on those kind of nights okay Gotcha. So you want to, when you're, when you're walking out of your drive, when you're get, looking outside from your house, your apartment or whatever, and you see a full moon at like a half hour before dark that you're like, dude, we need to be out hunting. Yes. Tomorrow <laughs> night. You got to go. Got it. Uh, yeah. I, which, uh, you know, you should have been hunting that night. I don't know why I would have <laughs> been at the house. <laughs> right. No, I hear you. I'm just saying that'd be the, yeah, no, I know okay gotcha yeah so there's that but like i said the red moon definitely definitely pay attention to those i, I hunting i was hunting over in illinois late season last year mm -hmm. i think it was july the 5th was the 15th the season ended on the 17th i believe i was out there on the 15th um of january and um there was a red moon that was hitting at like three o'clock in the evening and it doesn't get dark till like you know five five thirty so this is a full you know two hours plus before dark and five minutes off that moon time i had a buck come in to 10 yards and 
I, I had some stuff go wrong and I didn't end up getting that deer, but I based my hunt around that red moon time and it almost worked for me. Man, that's wild. That's wild. Usually yeah, like late season like that, you're yeah. looking at like the last hour of light when they come out into a field or something. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So where that, mm, so where that moon's going to kind of come in. So like what, mainly what I'm talking about is like early and late season where it's going to come in that red moon during the rut. Like I said before, I'm a, I'm not a very good rut hunter. Um, I've never shot a buck in November with my bow. Um, but there's some other guys that are far more experienced. If you listen to any Adam Hayes podcast, he, and he, he's the guy who, uh, who has the, you know, the moon guide app, he mm-hmm. created the, the app for it. Yeah. Um, if you can get, uh, the preferred one is like the overhead underfoot's a little less preferred, but if you can get an overhead moon sometime during the day, during the rut, like an hour before and an hour after is when, um, is when that is when you're going to have a good period of movement. And he says it's a, it's really exaggerated or a lot better. If you can get like a moon time, that's like in between like 10 and two, like right in the middle of the day, um he's really had some had some serious success doing that i'm trying to do that i'm trying to get there but uh oh maybe maybe this year will be the year now that you yeah now that you well you filled the tag right away so now you get to go mess around are you gonna go back to illinois then yes i have a i definitely have a personal issue with those deer after what they did (laughs) to me last year (laughs) (laughs) i am i am gonna go back starting here uh next weekend Oh, nice. Cool. But that'll be fun. Um, are you going more for a scouting trip or are you actually going to hunt straight up or what? Uh, this will be, this will be more for a, for a scouting trip. Um, just to see, I might, I might check out some new stuff. The area I was hunting last year, I know a lot of what they did in late season. I really don't know what they're doing right now. Um, and so I, and it doesn't really, I mean, in my head, I, I kind of want to be in the, in some more hilly terrain come, come, you know, that, that time of year. Cause that's just what I'm, that's just what I'm comfortable with. So I'm going to try to replicate that over there, but going to go check out some new spots through, you know, for the October and early November hunting here. And, uh, and then if we, uh, if we make it to late season, then, I'll be heading back to that familiar ground. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That sounds like a good plan, dude. Well, hey, Jace, thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. We're about an hour 15 in or so, hour 10, hour 15 in, which is usually where we like to kind of keep the podcast, keep people uh, entertained for this long. We've done a a good job, (laughs) I think. Mm -hmm. So. Um, if people want to, were there, before we drop off, were there any other like big public land tips that you thought were super helpful, um, in, in starting public land hunting really a couple years ago? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing is, uh, I, I think Hunter touched on that a little bit last time is there's people who have time and there's people who make time. The, 
the more time that you can spend out a field, kind of like that dartboard I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, the more time you can spend out in the field, the more information that you get, um, you know, the, the better off you'll be. And also, um, there is there is just tons and tons and tons of information on podcasts these days. Um, I've spent thousands of hours, you know, with podcasts in, in my ear. Um, there is so much information out there to be had. And really, all you got to do is, you know, while you're doing whatever, doing your chores or, or yeah, relaxing around the house, just uh, kick on a podcast and uh, apply it to your own strategies, your own hunting, and and uh, that'll get you. That'll get you pretty far yeah. along. All right, awesome. Appreciate it. I'm gonna tack tack onto that just a little bit here, in the sense of once you learn like a piece and how the deer really like to use the piece, you can use that knowledge over and over and over and over again, year after year after year, because the deer have been using that piece very similarly for the last 200 years, 300 years. And that's just how these deer function on that property. So if you can, if you can learn how to, how these deers, deer use a property and you can be very precision and like uh, sharpshooter oriented, like Jace in getting in there and killing this deer and then being out of there and he won't be back there again until next year. Like it's very likely that he'll have, he'll be able to hunt a similar scenario next year and won't have to put in nearly the amount of time. I know, I know you will Jace cause you like to glass those mm. deer up and keep an eye on them and figure out what deer you're going to target and all that. But if you're just the everyday mm. hunter and you're cool with any buck, once you learn, if you spend one season um, and you get 50, 60, 70 sits in, in a season, and you really understand a piece, you don't have to do that again, every single year, you just need to do it. A, a, a maybe one, two at the most three years, you should have that piece pretty well narrowed down to the point where you can call your shots on when you need to sit and where, cause you should have the data and information to know when the best times with the best conditions and the best trees like the best travel routes are are available. Would you agree with that, Jace? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's just one thing is like you don't yeah, I know I I just wanted to make to clarify that you don't have to spend um uh every single day hunting every single year in order to get good. It's just you need to really focus on a piece and learn it extremely well one time, two couple times and then you can go back there and and you can replicate success. So mm-hmm. I know that that has helped me. I had one season where I say, I think I sat like 66 or 67 times on this one piece. Um, that's like roughly 900 acres. And, um, now like there are certain areas I won't even go to until certain times of the year, because I just know that these deer aren't even there, you know, like you go two miles yep. back, um, in the early season and you don't even find any sign that I set up trail cameras. I don't even see any deer back in there, but come the rut. And once pressure picks up, there's all of a sudden deer back there, you know, and that's where you yep. just got to go. So it's not worth the effort in the beginning, but it is very much worth the effort during the rut. Um, mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah. All right. Great. And that was a great tip, you know, make the time. Don't everybody's got time. You just got to prioritize it. Um, so yeah, appreciate you hopping on, Jace. If 
if people want to find you, ask you some questions, some further questions about your hunt, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, my Facebook, it's uh, just my name, Jace Allen, J-A-C-E-A-L-L-E-N. Um, Instagram is nature of the beast, um, underscores in between all the words and, uh, you can just hop on there and message me. And I really, I really do enjoy taking the time. If a guy has some good questions, you know, to, uh, talk back and forth with them and, and, uh, get some stuff figured out and try to make them, you know, more, more successful. All right. Awesome. Well, appreciate that. I will put that in the show notes for everyone. So no issues in memorizing that. And I'm sure everybody would appreciate um, the conversation and, and talking back. I know there's a few people, like I'm not even that popular on, on Instagram. I'm really, I got through a few thousand followers and whatnot, but there's certainly mm-hmm. people that message me and I talk back to them all the time. And there's some people that say, wow, thanks for appreciate you um, actually answering my message, which always baffles me. Like who, who doesn't, you know, I, I just feel like that's, rude but maybe it's just my midwest roots i guess i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i I try the best i can right yeah we yeah i'm i'm sure we all should strive for at least that um anyway rambling on thanks everyone for listening really appreciate it if you enjoyed the podcast hit that subscribe button please leave a review that really helps other people find me so please if, if you have the opportunity uh, to review it on whatever podcast app you have, a Spotify or iTunes. Really appreciate that. And um, we'll catch you guys next time.